It's 1001 LA Nights. This is LA Rivers with you. And it's a special podcast because I have some amazing news. And uh, I've been holding on to it and I haven't really been able to talk about it. It's been killing me. So it's been a really good week. So there's a couple of things. So first of all, um, there was a whole lot that happened when I was on hiatus. And I talked a little bit about in the last episode about being on set with Mark Nizal's passion project. Uh, the spinoff for Carmina, the movie that comes out in October. I got to be a consultant on set. That was really cool. Um, I also pitched my PhD to my alma mater. And um, they they said I could get it in two different departments. I'm going to choose education. I spent 30 years researching um, human consciousness and development I minored in anthropology um, in my undergraduate studies. And um, for my own development, I wanted to know um, how I could exceed um, my own expectations as a human being about what I could do, how I could heal, how I could live a fulfilling life. In other words, actualize and self-actualize. And I always felt it was a bit of a bogus call to say um, only very, very special people can self-actualize. And I'd be like, well, if the human brain operates on what we think is 10% and that's average, what if there's this 90% we're not accessing and if we just knew how to do that, we could then actualize and find our own satisfaction and and it was a wandering journey I studied a lot of different things and I started pulling um, this interdisciplinary project together um, about 15 years ago and started testing and and working with people and I always say I created a, a system that's been tested more than most pharmaceuticals and what it is what it's wound up to be is Align Network International which is Um, from concept to completion on projects for creatives, for passion-driven professionals, for um, people who give a damn about how their life turns out. And it's not so much about how to be successful, but it's rather determining what success means to you. And then developing the internal skills necessary to attain that because honestly success must be self-described to be attained because if you're working off somebody else's idea of success you're never going to find fulfillment and I learned that really really young that's why I started studying all of this you know I did everything they told me to do and I I graduated uh, with my bachelor's after two and a half years with you know at the top of my class in my in my um, degree program and um, you know it it didn't make me happy and then I got a, a really great job out of college and did things that most people would consider impossible for a 21 year old to do and and um, that didn't make me happy and so I started questioning this idea of when we attain these benchmarks they're supposed to make us feel enlightened or happy or whatever you're making the money you've got you know the other half you've got the pretty kids and so how come you're not happy and um, I explore this a lot in my writing as well and always have about self-determination and self-actualization 
And uh, anyway, so I created Align Network International and it's an organization where people come together. Some people might call them members, I call them fellows. It's like a fellowship where people come together to work on their own passion projects, their own business ideas, their own creative projects, their careers. Um, Life is a project, you know, life counts, where people come to get encouragement and a step-by-step process to self-describing what success means to them. And then building foundational skills to gain the focus, discipline, and drive to see it through to the end. You know, that's the difference between all those people who say, I'm going to write a book someday, and the people who do write that book someday. And the difference between the people who write the book and the people who are willing to do what it takes to make that book really shine. And so I get to matriculate into my alma mater, which is now Alliant University. It was U.S. International University when I went there. Um, and I can matriculate, I'll probably do it in the winter quarter and, um, gain my PhD in education because of this project. Cause as the guy said in admissions, well, you just handed me your dissertation. So there'll just be some courses to take that'll really help, um, me run an organization. And that's my passion project. Um, other cool news to share Um, You know, that's not even the coolest news of the day. The coolest news is probably going to come in the second segment. We're going to talk about what it is I've been holding on to for two weeks. Um, This, you know, you guys know I finished the book. I finished the Granny Annie book. And I sent it to a writing friend uh, to read, to have a look through. And they came back. And this is an accomplished writing friend. Um in the Twitter community and they asked if they could edit, you know, is that all right if I edit this? And I'm like, oh, shit, have at it. Um, so I'm thrilled. Uh, speaking of doing what it's ta- doing what it takes to make something shine, I'm really, really proud of the Granny Annie book and I'll talk about that in the third segment um, as a prelude to reading from Bullyproof Yarn, which some of you may have already heard in earlier episodes, but it's revised and some rewrites in there. I'm not going to read the whole thing in this podcast, but if you're a patron, you'll get the whole audio in Patreon. So uh, that's what this episode is all about. I'm going to be getting my PhD in 2020 or 2021 um, because it's a year program. So probably 2021, I'll graduate with my PhD, which is pretty exciting. That's a dream come true. Um, in fact, I had to turn down an offer of a PhD when I was 26 due to life circumstances. So, um, talk about full cycle. It's, it's, this is what 2019 has been for me. It's been just everything I thought I'd ever had to let go of is coming back. Um, so why don't we get into the next segment where I get to give you my really cool news. Um, so hang on, it's coming right after this message about Anchor. Okay, I can't hold back anymore. I am officially starting on Monday at Gigabyte in the laptop division on the marketing team. I am super, super excited. If you haven't heard of Gigabyte laptops, they're really top-notch. They're really great 
um, gaming laptops in the Oris brand. They're really, really good. And they have a brand for creatives. So if you do videos, if you do graphic arts, if 3D modeling, if you're using softworks, if you're, you know, when, if you're a graphic artist, if you are a coach and you make video content or um, video courses, this is the type of laptop you need to really excel. Um, and the difference between the gaming laptop and the creative laptop is all down into how the specs are used because for those of us who are very serious content creators and I have been um since oh my god forever but since like the mid 90s but I started doing like membership sites and online courses back in the mid 2000s like before it was a big deal before you saw every freaking webinar on the planet I was already doing this stuff and I just didn't think of it as the way you know like webinar I was like I teach an online class um I was doing this in a niche market long before it was a thing and so same with self-publishing, um, same with, you know, social media. There isn't a platform I haven't been on since the beginning, except Facebook. Facebook was the one I had to be invited onto, I think by my niece or something like that, because it never appealed to me. But I was an early adopter of Twitter. I would, um, not this account, um, not the, you know, LA Rivers account, the 1001 LA Knights account or what is it, Knights underscore LA, I think is what I got with that. Um, but a different account um, was my first, like, again, when I think Twitter was in beta, and then um, Pinterest when it was in beta, all of that fun stuff. So I've been around the internet a really long time. I actually saw it unveiled in 1988. Um, I've been a gamer, like, all of my life. Like, when I met um, my boss, um, for the very first time he's he's like wow Sam says you're a gamer and you don't look like a gamer and I said since Pong that tends to be my response luckily I left off the since Pong motherfucker because that's what I usually say but I didn't because it was like an informal business lunch so I kept the MF out of there but anyway um this is just between us it's 1001 LA nights right and I have this rated as adult content, so, and it's not work for hire, it's my podcast. Anyway, just thinking of liability, because that's what I do. I'm not just a creative, I'm a structural thinker. So anyway, I'm super excited to join that marketing team. It's a big deal for me, and it's a big deal for me in a couple of ways. I would have gone into the technology sector, um, I would have studied it in college, but due to my age, and if you didn't remember, I turned 50 this year. I feel 25 or younger on the inside. Um, I felt about 11 years old getting this offer because in 1980, when I was 11, I took my first coding class. I took a basic coding class, basic language, and on Apple IIe's. And I was the only girl in the class and it was an age where, like, we weren't really aware of each other as boys and girls. Not really. I mean, kind of. But, you know, pu- puberty really hadn't started yet. And um, the teacher never answered my questions. And I didn't 
it kind of annoyed me because I was a good student in regular school. So I didn't get why the teacher wasn't answering. I was always having my questions answered in regular school. This was a summer school class. And um, I would turn to my neighbor at the next computer and be like, can you ask this question? Because this guy is not answering my questions. And the kid was like, yeah, I know this. I don't get it. And I'm like, I don't get it either. But can you ask me? Yeah, sure. I'll answer your question. I'll ask your questions. And so that's, that's how that whole class went. And at the end of the class, I, I was never a cheeky kid. I really wasn't. I was a really quiet, studious, book reading, quiet kid. I never got in trouble, even probably when I should have. Um, but I was pretty quiet, but I was inquisitive. And so finally I raised my hand. He didn't call me. And I just spoke out of turn because I was a little frustrated. He literally had answered everybody else's questions in that class except mine. And I, I said, you know, Hey teacher, um, why aren't you answering my questions? And he said, because you're a girl and you're just going to grow up and have babies and it's pointless to have you in this class. And my response was, ew. And like the boy and I looked at each other, I was like, uh, babies? I'm 11? That's gross. Ew. And like nobody even laughed. I mean, everybody was just kind of shocked at what he said. It was just kind of like, what does that have to do with making video games? That's all I wanted to do was make my own video games. You couldn't just go buy video games. You know, you needed to know how to make them. There were some but not really. And it was just so new, right? And um, in fact, I couldn't get my dad to buy me a computer like the Apple IIe because he just said it was an expensive toy and he was going to shell out money on a fad. And I was like, dad, computers are the future. And he's like, no, it's an expensive toy. Fine. And, but I did convince him to get me an Atari um, console that had these cassettes and I could code on that with it hooked up to the television and so I taught myself and then high school came around and I went to the high school computer teacher and I said hey I would like you needed special permission in those days to get into that class especially in a small town with limited you know space in those classes I was like hey I'd like to take um some coding. I, I really love computers. I've taught myself. I'm, I'm good at this. And he said, well, you're not good enough at math. And I said, well, yeah, except it's not math. It's a language. Computing is a language. It, you know, math's a language too, by the way. Um, I just hadn't quite figured that out till college. And, um, but I was like, no, this is a language. I get this language. It's like writing a story. It's really easy. I I write the game. I can see it in my head and I make it happen. And he was like, no, no. And he goes, besides, you'd be a distraction. And at that point I got annoyed because at 11, I didn't get annoyed because of a sexist pig, but I got really annoyed in high school. And there was no law saying, you know, you couldn't discriminate based on sex at that point or gender. And so, you know, like the Anita Hill thing hadn't even happened yet. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, did you just say I'd be a distraction? I can't help it if if people can't keep their eyeballs to themselves. I'm supposed to not get educated because I would distract these young men. I see. Okay. So I kept up with it and I still couldn't get my parents to get me a computer but I would use, like, whatever one I could find. 
like sometimes it was people's appearances and you could sneak on and like learn WinStar, the word processing program. I did get my mom to buy me an electric typewriter that had a memory set in it, you know, to make life easier. Because I was always writing. I was on the newspaper. I was in charge of the yearbook my senior year. Um, I wrote articles for local papers. Um, I got hired to write. I even got hired to write marketing copy as a teenager. You know, that kind of thing. So I needed the typewriter. And then I went off to college. And um, where I was introduced to even cooler PC games and video games. And um, because a couple of the students, I went to a kind of a snooty school. My dad was a firefighter. My mom worked at a department store. I was from a little town in Oregon. And I went to school with kids who now like run governments. It was a small private school. It ended up being Hogwarts in the second movie. So I went to Hogwarts. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, but anyway, some, some of the kids had personal computers and then we had a computer lab. And I had to take a computer class. It was, it was required for all students. And, of course, I was behind because I didn't get Pascal and I didn't get COBOL. I hadn't been able to teach myself those. And so that kind of trashed my grade. But I made up with it or made up for it when we got to basic because I could, you know, I'd been working in basic. I knew how to do that. And my professor was great. I mean, he gave me hope. And he said, you know, Lori it just really bothers me you're so good at this and you they really disabled you you know in your education you you are a natural with this you love computers let me tell you why things are going to change here really really soon and you don't really need to know the coding side um although you would have been great at it had somebody actually helped you out but just stay up with computers because if you know how to manipulate computers and understand how to use software, you'll be able to freaking rule the, rule the world. That was Dr. Black at U.S. International University. And so I stayed up with computers. Um, I married my college sweetheart who was from Bahrain. Um, and if you didn't know, it, when you have a Muslim wedding, at least in the Arabian Gulf, there's a, a dowry agreement you get. And I asked for my dowry for a computer and a puppy. <laughs> it, it, and I made them put it on, on the contract because it's a contract. A marriage license is actually a contract. And, um, and there was some money involved too, but it, it wasn't, it, it's about making sure that you have some stability for yourself. And the guy was like, you can't have a puppy. And like, I get, this was the priest, the mullah. I'm like, yeah, I want a puppy. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, there's nothing that says I can't have a puppy. And anyway, I got the puppy. I also got the computer. And my father-in-law, when I got to Bahrain, almost didn't get me the computer. I'm like, dude, I will take you to court. This is like a suing offense. It's on my marriage, you know, agreement. It's in the contract. I want my freaking computer. So in 1991, I got my freaking computer and my puppy and was able to move forward. 
with computers. So I've always had them and I've played games like since Pong. I saw Pong at eight years old for the first time and played it and it mystified me. I made my own games growing up. I have always loved computers. I was a, a ranked WoW player, believe it or not. I didn't even know it because um, my son would play on my account when he was little and he had the Death Knight because it was cool. Well, I played a druid and I was a great healer. Um, but I just played for fun. But when I went to give my son the account, um, because I went off running my business and, and consulting and coaching people into making information products and classes, and again, using technology to leverage their skills, time and talent. Um, and my son, you know, I quit playing and my son was like, well, I don't, I don't want to lose the death night. I'm like, I know, you know, and he was grown by then. So I transferred over and he goes, mom, did you know you were a ranked player? Your druid was ranked on, on Draenor server. I'm like, no way I was. Um, so that was kind of cool. I have always played games. You know, I played, um, you know, Diablo, the first version with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old on my lap as a mom. Um, I taught my kids how to game. I built my own towers and, and I'm going on about this because it's like people would be like, well, you can't know that much because you're a girl. And I'd be like, I live, breathe, and sleep technology. I love technology. So fast forward, I'm 50 years old. I swear to God, I'm going to turn 50 every year because it has been so good since my birthday. Um, and my really good friend, Sam, who is... Um, an amazing Taiwanese-American guy. He's just super solid, great friend. Um, He's a shaman. I will be writing him into a story someday because he's just absolutely um, this amazing character who deserves a story. He has known this fellow, um, Daniel, for like 18 years. and, And I've been looking for... Um, a juicy assignment. I, I don't want to be in just a job, you know, if I'm, I wanted something juicy, get my talents in while I'm growing my passion project. And, um, so he has us meet up for lunch and I talk about games just like I'm talking about now that I have always loved computers. And, um, and Daniel just looked at me and he goes, my God, you're so passionate about this. I said, I am. I love technology technology that people diss it but really it's so amazing and it can bring people together and I do that every single week at Align Network International members from or fellows from all over the world who come together to encourage one another as they build their own individual unique projects and there's just nothing like it and if we harness technology and stop looking at the dystopian aspects and look at pragmatic positive proactive movement we can really do great things in the world so yeah I am passionate about this so my inner 11 year old the little girl who was in the coding class who got told she didn't need this stuff because she was just going to grow up and have babies says um no I get to go play with computers and market them and help people find the best solution for them and have a lot of fun working with great people. The other really cool thing, and I actually commented on it in the second interview I had with the team where I got to meet everybody, was the team was half female. And they're 
all younger than me. And I just, I realized as I looked around the table and I was like, oh my gosh, guys, uh, you know, when I started working, I've always worked in male dominated industries, which funny enough, I worked in shipping and, um, you know, so I worked for TNT Skypack and DHL International and import exports. There were a little more women in import export, but in shipping at the time I worked in it in the nineties, I was like the only female who wasn't in a support role. I was the only in supervisory roles. And, um, at least where I was at, right? Um, so to see these women at the table was really gratifying. That was, that was really exciting to me. And I told them so. I said, you know, I just, I just didn't see that in, in my career. And I think with the dog barking, let's move to the next segment where I read, um, from Bullyproof Yarn. Today's reading comes from my book, which is now with a wonderful editor. I'm very excited and pleased that that happened. Uh, this story is called Bullyproof Yarn, and I won't be reading the whole thing here on the podcast, but if you're a patron, you get the whole recording. Now, you'll say, Lori, you already did this one. And I'll say, yeah, but I rewrote it, and I polished it up, and it's better than it was. So that's part of this process. So, and also, if you're a patron, you're going to get some of the inside scoop about the characters in this story. Some are real, some are not real. And I'm going to talk about how I created those characters in this story. And so without further ado, this is a cold reading. That means I'm reading you a story. It's time for you to get comfy and cozy. If you're up in the northern climes where it's all fall and misty, get a blankie, settle back in, and enjoy the story. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell, the reason why I cannot tell, but this I know, and know full well. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. Annie, quoting her mother, quoting Tom Brown. Bullyproof Yarn by L.A. Rivers. He could feel it. Right under his left eye socket, the skin was hot and swelling, the pressure building painfully. Mason touched his face where the bully had landed a bony fist. He winced and wished he'd left his face alone. Even barely touching where he got socked made him want to cry again. Quickening his pace down the side street, heart thudding, vision blurring in one eye, and something warm starting to drip out of his nose. Please be snot. Mason thought, moving his hand to his nose, then drawing it back. He waved it in front of his face, and his stomach lurched. Dark red blood covered his hand. Gross, he groaned. As if by acknowledging the bloody nose, it began to gush. He felt the odd sensation of blood running warm out of his nose down his lip, but more disgusting down the back of his throat. Fumbling in his pockets for anything that might work as a tissue to help stop the bleeding, he came up empty. Awkwardly, he leaned his head out in front of his body as he kept going. Too afraid to look back to see if those jerks were still behind him, Mason trudged slipping along the icy pavement, face throbbing, 
Sharp needle-like jabs in his cheek and the blood pulsing out of his nose made it hard to see as he marched through the park. To add real insult to injury, he'd worn his tennis shoes instead of his boots, like his mom had told him to, so he kept slipping and sliding on the snow and ice. Oh yeah, and it was getting close to dark, so there was that too. Mason rolled his eyes reflexively and nearly passed out from the shooting pain in his cheek. Whoa, he moaned. He had to stop or he'd faceplant right there in the snow-covered lawn. He stopped near the tetherball pole and leaned over, bracing his hands on his knees, trying to keep his face up and his good eye open and keep breathing through his mouth. He nervously turned to check to see if they were behind him. They weren't. Mason felt his body relax. So focused on the bullies, Mason wasn't aware of anyone else in his surroundings. Turning around to get hit square between the eyes with a soap bubble caused the 13-year-old to jump out of his skin. His scream was high-pitched, anguish keening up from his belly as the unstoppable tears flowing seared into the broken skin on his face. Oh my goodness, he heard an old lady's voice. He couldn't see her come up through the pain and tears. Mason had had it with this day. His body sank down into the snow and his shoulders shook as he cried in pain and shame. He could hear shuffling footsteps and felt the snow as it kicked up onto his now wet and bloody jeans. Warm, mittened hands were lifting his chin, and a hanky was deftly wiping away snot and blood off his face. Her voice was kind as she tutted at him. Oh, you poor thing, she clucked, her voice soft and kind. Come on, let's get you taken care of. We'll get you inside. The old lady tugged on his arm to get him to stand up. When he did manage to get up, his legs were loose and shaky. She stood on his left side so he couldn't see what she looked like through his now swollen shut black eye. When she put his arm around her shoulder, he could feel that she was short and plump. Come on, young man, let's get moving. Her soft voice held grit in it, and Mason wondered if she was mad at him. Thanks for wiping my face, he said weakly as the two limped out of the park to the slick pavement. Think nothing of it, she said firmly. Now we're about to step off a curb. Let's go slow. It's icy. The old lady led Mason away from the park and to her house a block away. She had him walk up the steps ahead of her. Then she hobbled to the front door and rushed him inside. On the couch, young man, she ordered. Take off your coat first. Mason accepted her help in getting his winter coat off. Looking at the navy blue overstuffed settee with the white doilies on the arms, Mason gestured wanly. I don't want to bleed on your furniture. You just stay on the couch. I raise teenagers. A little blood doesn't hurt me one bit. The old lady scurried out of the living room before Mason could argue further. Mason sat on the couch and tried to lay down, but his face threatened to punch him from the inside. Sparks of light and color danced in his left eye, and he moaned. He decided to just sit still and cupped his hands under his nose to catch the blood dripping. "'Gross!' he muttered as a pool of of the warm, thick liquid gathered in his cold hands. 
The old woman came stomping back and cleared her throat. Okay, young man, let's get you to lay back. I tried. It hurt too much. He tried to sound polite. The old lady made clucking sounds, grabbed an overstuffed pillow from a wing-back chair, and began to manhandle Mason with expert efficiency, plopping the pillow by one of the arms. She then got him to lay back slowly. How's that? Too painful? She asked. No, Mason said, trying to breathe and speak at the same time. The old lady took a warm washcloth with a so- and with soft practice motions wiped his face. Then she shoved a cotton gauze pad under his top lip, making Mason wince. Sorry, kid, but let's just do the basics. She placed a dry towel under his chin, covering his neck and shoulders, then wiped the blood off of his hands with the now cool, wet cloth. The old lady grunted as she straightened up, then said, Boy, oh boy, they sure cleaned your clock. I think we need to call your folks. Want me to? Mason groaned. He didn't want to explain to his mom that the bullies he'd been facing at school finally caught him. She'd just make things worse. The whole reason they'd kicked his ass was because she'd complained to the principal in, at the middle school. Can it wait? He asked quietly. Just till my nose stops bleeding. The woman sighed. Hun, they beamed you good. I think the sooner you see a doctor, the better. Dollars to donuts. You have a concussion. She jumped startled and then said, Your coat buzzed. You have one of those cell phone doohickeys? Yeah, Mason groaned. I had better answer it. It's probably mom. The old lady fiddled in his coat pocket and produced the still buzzing phone. Holding it like an unwanted critter, she placed it into Mason's outstretched hand. Hi, mom. His tone defeated and glum. No, mom. Mom. He tried to get a word in, his mother's worried voice carrying loudly out of the speaker. Mom, Mason shouted, just listen for a sec, okay? He waited for his mom to stop talking. When his mom gave him room to speak, Mason cleared his throat. Mom, look, I'm at some old lady's house. She helped me at the park. I'm okay, I think. Hey, hey. Mason protested as the phone was yanked out of his hands. The old lady gave him a look over the rim of her glasses, then put the phone to her ear. Hello, ma'am. This is Annie Thompson. Your son got his clock cleaned by some rough ones. I found him in the park bleeding and brought him home. Mason could hear and feel the panic in his mom's voice. I'm not sure how okay he is. He's got quite a shiner and his nose is still bleeding, though it's not gushing anymore. I'd be wanting to have him checked out for a concussion. More worried sounds coming from his mom. Then Annie reassured the woman that it was no trouble and gave her address. She handed Mason the phone, then used the wet cloth to wipe his face again, gently ruffling his hair. Nice to meet you, Mason. Your mom will be here in a bit. Mason grunted. Nice to meet you, too. Annie went to sit at her wing-back chair, then pulled out a strange piece of furniture. Mason turned his head slightly. Uh, 
Sorry, trying not to lose my place. Mason turned his head slightly to take a better look. It was a dark wood contraption with turned legs like his grandpa made in his furniture shop. Resting in the center was what looked like a wheel from an old-fashioned sailing ship. Two bands circled the wheel and came up to where a spool of thick thread was held. Is that a kind of sewing machine? Mason asked. Annie chuckled. No, but good guess. This is a spinning wheel. It's for making yarn. Cool. Like from the fairy tales? Mason said quietly. Exactly. Annie affirmed and chuckled as she started spinning on the wheel, the spindle whirring away and the clacking of the treadle rhythmically mesmerizing her young guest. That's really cool. How does it work? Mason asked. Annie showed him how the drive bands work with the spindle and treadle as a unit, enjoying his curious nature. Tell you what, Mason, when you get patched up, I'll teach you how to spin. Really? Mason asked. Do guys spin too? Annie chuckled. Oh my, yes. I've taught lots of guys like you to spin. Awesome, Mason said, grinning, then groaned as his left as the left side of his face protested. A knock at the door interrupted the clicking and whirring of the wheel. Annie hauled herself out of the wing-back chair to greet Mason's mother. The tall blonde woman rushed past Annie to where her son lay and gasped. Oh my God, what the hell did those kids do to you? She bent down to inspect his face, making fussing sounds. She turned to Annie. Thank you for bringing him to your house. Then turned to her son. Why the hell didn't you call me to pick you up? Mom, I was running. They chased me for a while. I was just trying to get away. I wasn't thinking. I'm sorry. Then he started to cry. He was tired, sore, and now his mom was upset. He just couldn't deal with anything more. Annie stepped in, handing tissues to Mason's mother. You know, when you're scared, you just don't think. I know I sure don't. Mason's mom nodded and then lightly kissed her son's forehead. I'm sorry, honey. Here, let's get you up. I want to take you to the ER to get checked out. Getting Mason to his feet took a moment. Both women helped him get into his coat and Annie plopped a blue knit stocking cap on his head. Keep those ears warm. Oh, did you make that? Mason's mother asked. No, my son did, Annie said with a smile. Oh, how nice, but we can't possibly. Mason's mother was interrupted by Annie. Oh, yes, you can borrow it. Mason can bring it back when he's recovered a bit. I'm going to teach him to spin. Mason's mother gave the woman a curious look. Thank you. Let's chat about that later. Annie handed the woman a business card. That's my number. Call me to let me know how he's doing. Oh, she chuckled. I didn't catch a name. Ostrid. Ostrid Hansen. Thank you, Annie. Mason's mother half carried her son out the door. Three weeks later, Annie was just visiting finishing up the ombre sock yarn she was plying when there was a knock at the door. Stopping the wheel and securing the yarn to a peg on the side, Annie heaved herself out of the chair, brushing her hands down her front to knock off any errant bits of fluff or fuzz, then ambled to the door, placing her fingers on the edge of the navy blue shade. Attached to the front door, she peered out and saw a tall young boy standing on the porch. 
brow furrowed, she didn't recognize him, and she checked her watch. It was only 1 p.m. She opened the door cautiously. Hi there, can I help you? Hi, I hope I'm not bothering you. You said when I got better I could come learn to use that spinning wheel thing? The boy half muttered, his face directed at his shoes, then he looked up. You helped me when I got beat up? Looking closely, Annie noticed the yellow-tinged skin under the boy's left eye and broke into a smile. Mason, oh, I'm glad you're patching up. Come in. She waved him into the door, smiling as the boy slowly shuffled in and walked straight to the couch. His lanky flame <clears throat> frame plopped down, and he stared at the spinning wheel for a second and looked up at Annie and smiled. Annie shut the door, walked towards her chair, and stood facing the boy. Before we get to visiting, can I make you some cocoa? The boy's face lit up. He nodded enthusiastically. Yes, please. That sounds really good. Then follow me into the kitchen. You're in for a treat. I make the real deal. Annie motioned for Mason to follow and hurried to the kitchen. Annie bent her round frame to retrieve a saucepan from the drawer under the stove, then directed Mason to grab the cocoa powder from the cupboard next to him. Good. Long arms are helpful. I don't know why I keep it up so high, the old woman said brightly. Can you grab the milk and half and half out of the fridge behind you, please? The tall boy opened the fridge, pulled out the milk, and handed it to Annie, then retrieved the half and half. Annie was already at the stove pouring milk into the pan, so Mason handed her the half and half. Annie directed him to grab the sugar on the counter and a spoon from the drawer, then gave him instructions on how much to scoop into a little bowl. You see, we don't want the milk to boil. It's got to be just the right temperature. So while I'm watching the pot, because it won't boil, get it? She chuckled at her own joke. You can mix up the cocoa and the sugar. Eyeballing the pan, she said, a quarter cup of sugar. And the measuring cups are in the drawer to your right. Scoop the sugar out of the canister into the measuring cup and put it into that little bowl. Then add three tablespoons of cocoa powder. We can add more if it doesn't look right. Annie turned back to the stove and stirred the milk while Mason finished mixing the sugar and cocoa. Annie showed him how to add in the mixture slowly so it didn't clump up. No one likes lumps of cocoa powder. It's bitter as anything, she said, eyes twinkling. Okay, we're close to adding in the half and half. It's almost to a boil, see? She pointed out the bubbles beginning to form and then dumped in the creamy liquid, handing the carton to Mason to return to the fridge. You can put the milk back too. Then get a big mug out of the cupboard by the sink. <clears throat> After a moment's pause, Annie stirred the pot and asked, So, Mason, isn't it a bit early in the day for school to be over? Mason sighed. Mom pulled me out of school after I got beat up. Annie nodded. Well, that's one way to deal with it. So she's homeschooling you? Mason nodded. Yeah. And you're bored. Annie pried. Mason nodded. Yeah, I thought being at home would be fun, but I get all my work done pretty early and Mom doesn't want me playing video games all afternoon. I finished reading all of my books, so yeah, that's when I remembered you said I could learn how to use the spinning wheel. I did indeed, 
Annie smiled at the boy. I have one in the basement you can borrow even, or I can teach you how to make and use the drop spindle. What's a drop spindle? Mason asked. Annie got up from the table and wandered over to a basket filled with odd wood objects. There was a long stick with a strange bowl-like thing at one end and a hook on the other. Then she pulled out a dowel with a CD on one end and a hook on the other. These are drop spindles. They are what people use before spinning wheels. She brought the tools over to the table for the boy to inspect. He picked up the solid wood one and, and turned it around in his hand slowly, eyeing the ends, then set it down and picked up the one with the CD. His brows raised and lowered as he tried to make sense of the sticks. How do these make yarn? Annie smiled. Well, physics. We use gravity, my boy. I could explain it all, but it's more fun to just try it. Go over to my chair and bring the basket full of wool and I'll show you. Mason grabbed the large wicker basket full of multicolored fluff and carted it back to the dining table. Annie had him put it down by her chair and told him to sit back down. Mason sipped on his cocoa and started and stared at the sticks. He wondered how those things could use gravity to make thread. It seemed a bit far-fetched, and he wondered if the old lady was teasing him. Annie sat up brandishing a small fluffy ball of white stuff and explained it was wool roving. She unrolled it until she had a foot-long piece and tore it off from the rest of the ball. With expert fingers, she separated the two-inch wide piece into thin pencil-wide pencil with strips and handed one to Mason. Feel that? It's wool. So it's already carded, which is like combing hair, and all you had to do is spin it up. Now you can twirl it with your fingers and make a loose yarn, or you can get some torque going with a drop spindle or wheel. They all make yarn. Mason twisted the piece in his fingers tentatively. The wool felt spongy and light in his hand. Twisting it back and forth didn't do much. But he quickly realized that when he twisted it in one direction, it got more solid. When you were spinning that day I was here, you were tugging on it. I don't see how that works. He tugged a bit and the long piece broke apart. Whoops, sorry. Annie's laugh was soft and low. You didn't break it. Learning how to draft takes time. That's what it's called when you pull on the yarn. So you tease the wool a bit, play with different pressure, and then get a feel for the wool. It's like making friends. It will tell you how it wants to go. Annie took a long, thin piece and showed Mason how to tug at the wool to see what she meant. Then she grabbed the long wood drop spindle with the bowl and attached a piece of yarn to the hook. This is called a leader. This is a bit of yarn to get you started. Now, depending on the kind of wool you're using, getting it to mate can be tricky. I like to cheat and tie mine on. She rolled her eyes at the boy, snickering at the word mate. Annie held the drop spindle by the wool, giving the wood spindle a twist with her free hand. Like magic, the spindle pulled and spun the wool into thread. Whoa, that's cool, Mason said in a hushed voice. Want to try it? Annie said, <clears throat> sure, Mason, sure, Mason said. Annie asked. Sure, Mason said. Okay, grab the spindle in front of you and tie the wool on to that string on the hook. Annie had to help Mason tie the wool on because it kept slipping when he tried. Don't be frustrated, Mason. I've been doing this longer than your mom's been alive. 
She laughed and looked over the rims of her glasses at him. Spinning teaches you lots of things. Patience, discipline, and focus. And it gives you time to daydream. Mason made a face and rolled his eyes. It's kind of cool. Annie got Mason started with the drop spindle, and after the first two failed attempts, he finally got the thing to work. His yarn was fuzzy in spots and tight in others, a bit lumpy. But Annie assured him that even if it wasn't perfect, it was still yarn. So what do you think? She asked him after he'd gone through two or three of the thin pieces of roving. Holding the twirling seedy drop spindle in his hand, allowing the wool to draft through his fingers, Mason didn't take his eyes off it as he responded. I think this is so cool. Tell you what, I'll let you keep the spindle and give you some wool to take home. Play with this for a week or so, and then we'll see about you using a wheel. Deal? Annie pushed her hand out across the table. Mason stopped the drop spindle and set it on the table and shook Annie's hand. Deal. What do I do with the yarn when I'm done spinning it? Mason asked. Do you knit? Annie asked. Mason shook his head no. Do you crochet? Annie asked again. Mason shook his head no. My friend taught me to finger crochet, though, and I made a really long chain. Then I'll teach you how to knit or crochet your yarn when you make enough. In the meantime, you give me all your beginner yarn and I'll knit you up something snazzy. The boy's eyes lit up and he smiled at Annie. Okay, that sounds really cool. Annie looked at her watch and said, Oh my, it's almost three. I need to get dinner started. Mason's brow furrowed. So early? Annie smiled. Well, I'm making a pot roast and we eat at 5.30. It takes time. I tell you what, you can come over anytime. Knock on the door. If I'm home, I'll answer it. And we'll work on the yarn. You might want to make sure it's okay with your mom first, though. Mason grinned. Okay, I'll talk to her tonight. We're going to leave it there for today. I want to thank you for listening. And if you are a patron, you get the rest of the story in Patreon. So this is the extra episode we shall say of the week i'll try to figure out something for friday or sunday um no special guests lined up yet i'll be having some other guests on in the near future uh i'll be reading more from uh the double bubble conjecture collection of extraordinary everyday events on the next couple of podcasts and um next podcast i'll be talking about the new book i'm working on um just a little bit as i work through because this is really fun in my writing process Uh, some people don't like to talk about their work i do it's an ever unfolding process and i could start with something and end up with something completely different you never know um Thank you so much for being interested in what I have to say and in the writing I do and being such a neat part of my life on Twitter. Um, Maybe next week I'll talk about me and the internet. And uh, we go way back, like as in 1988 back. And uh, again, people can bash technology all they want. It has only made my life better. 
So thank you so much again for your encouragement, for your words, and again, patrons. If you're a patron, you will be getting the whole of the audio coming to you, the whole stories, and uh, be talking about how I came up with the characters and be talking about Granny Annie a little bit too. You can go to patreon.com forward slash 1001 LA Nights to become a patron. Thank you.